Howdy, Who Thunkers. This is the host of the Who to Thunk It podcast, Zeb, coming at you. Episode 164, titled The Last Queen of Hawaii. This week I recommend, uh, or yeah, before we get into the, the queen of the last queen of Hawaii, let's do the recommendation segment. This week I recommend the Apple TV short film, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. It's quite the title. Some people have problems with it, but once you once you <laughs> watch the story or read the book, it makes sense, the order. But if you just type in The Boy, The Mole, it'll pop up. I have never experienced a more important children's book or movie or story, and I only call it a children's story because it is simple enough for children to understand, yet, as the book's intro explains, it is just as important to read it, quote, if you are 80 or 8. And that's true. Um, there's something deeply human about the the topics, the the content that in this story that I think everyone should read or watch. And I came across this movie on Facebook, just a clip on Facebook Reels, very short clip. It was under a minute. And yet it conveyed such meaning that I got choked up. And I wanted to play that clip, at least the audio version, for you here. Oh no! Where are the lights? I can't see them anymore. It feels like we have such a long way to go. I know, but look how far we've come. I just don't think I can do this. I'm never going to find a home. You know, sometimes your mind plays tricks on you. It can tell you you're no good that it's all hopeless but I've discovered this you are loved and important and you bring to this world things that no one else can so hold on So yeah, pretty moving clip that a lot of us can understand, and I don't know, it moved me. I started searching for the title that was behind this clip. I wanted to know more. I wanted to see what it was about. I wanted to consume as much of it as I could. I I found that it was on Apple TV, and that's where it is now if you want to watch it. I immediately sat down and watched the whole 35 minutes, 34 minutes, it's not too long, and I cried. Good thing I was home alone, just my dog, my cat, and me. Because I cried deep, and I cried ugly. But I didn't cry sorrowfully. I mean, I felt a whole lot of stuff watching it, you know? But at the end, I didn't feel worse. I felt so much better. And I didn't expect to. I knew it would be a cool one. I'd be like, wow, I want to... I expect. I sat down, I expected to watch and think, wow, this is something I want to, you know, recommend to my nephew or my the parents of my nephew or my niece. And like, that'd be really cool. I did not expect to, to get this emotional over it, but wow, so good. Uh, Shannon got home that night and I said, I know this isn't the usual. Usually we watch like, I don't know, a Gordon Ramsay show or something. But I was like, would you mind sitting down and watching 
this children's short movie with me. And she goes, sure. We watched it and it had just as good of effect on her as it did me. Um, while I watched this thing, I knew the person or people responsible for this had lived one hell of a life and experienced quite a lot of suffering. Yet they were on the other side of that suffering when they made it and made this story to tell the world. It's almost as if they made the story to tell the world. It's okay. Love will prevail. That guy's name is Charlie Mackesy. M-A-C-K-E-S-Y. Charlie Mackesy. Mackesy. Um, he's from the UK. And that night, Shannon bought four books on Amazon. And and I bought the, uh, of the... She bought the original. I bought a copy that was like from the film with like more colorful and, and more sophisticated animation. And the animation goes off of Charlie's drawings. He writes... He draws with ink. And... Uh, which he likes drawing with ink, so do I. He said, I love the permanence of it. I was like, I get that. I love drawing with pen. He does it with a little bit cooler type of pen, but still. The movie did, I mean, I said to Shannon, it's not very long, but you can tell they spared no expense on voice actors, on sound, on music, on animation for the movie. I mean, you could tell whoever made the movie was in charge of producing it. You know, Charlie was right there with him, but also the the people who knew movies and animation knew that they did not, you know, they wanted to do the book justice, and they did. It's amazing. Amazing. You want a good cry? <laughs> Watch The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, The Horse. Really good. Now, for the main event. In case you haven't noticed, I like history. History tells the most compelling stories because they actually happened. Typically, history is told through events, usually wars or people, such as biographies. But sometimes history is told through places. Some places just beg to have their story told. History.com summarizes today's topic. Just an idea of the last queen of hit of Hawaii. On the Hawaiian Islands, a group of American sugar planters under Sanford Ballard Dole overthrow Queen Liliokalani, the Hawaiian monarch, and establish a new provincial government with Dole as president. The coup occurred with the foreknowledge of John L. Stevens, the U.S. Minister of Hawaii, and 300 U.S. Marines from the U.S. cruiser Boston were called to Hawaii, allegedly to protect American lives. Now, that's the gist of what we'll be talking about. Uh, but I like to let's uh, let's take a step back. The first Homo sapiens known to reach the Hawaiian Islands so far, out at sea, all by themselves, adrift in the Pacific, huge, hugely away from everything else, were the Polynesian voyagers. It is believed they arrived sometime in the seven hundreds. 1778, Captain James Cook lands on Waimea Bay on the island of Kauai, becoming the first European to make contact with the Hawaiian Islands. Cook names the archipelago the Sandwich Islands after the Earl of Sandwich, which I find funny. <laughs> James Cook was known for naming things like <laughs> Sandwich Islands and Christmas Islands and James Island, Cook Island. <laughs> he just named things so super simply. And he named Hawaiian Islands Sandwich. <laughs> Thank goodness they're called Hawaii now. In the 1700s, the first Americans arrived. They were seeking trade of Hawaii's sandalwood, which apparently was very valuable in China at the time. Of course, these American traders were kind and respectful to the Hawaiians and didn't exploit them or see them as lesser than themselves at all. Didn't happen. JK. Of course, they exploited the Hawaiians. That's what people do. That's what humans do. By the 1830s, sugar had come to Hawaii, and by the middle of the 1800s, sugar 
was the main product coming out of Hawaii. It was the sugarcane planters and American missionaries that greatly altered Hawaii's culture, economic system, politics, and religion. Another perspective, another way to say that is, uh, the perspective of the natives, is that the colonizers gutted the Hawaiian native way of life. I mean, think about it. They completely changed culture, economics, politics, and religion. That's, that's, that's almost all of culture. By 1840, a constitutional monarchy was put in charge of the islands. There was still Hawaiian. There was still a Hawaiian monarch in place, but they had virtually no power left. In 1844, a guy named Sanford B. Dole was born on Honolulu, Hawaii. Sanford B. Dole, that guy I mentioned in the the brief summation before, he's pretty important, but he was born in 1844 to give you some context. In a way, uh, this made Dole a native to Hawaii, as it was the place of his birth, but his parents were American. He was a white dude. After the constitutional monarchy was set up, there were a bunch of treaties and political maneuvering going on between U.S. and Hawaii. A lot of stuff going back and forth. By 1887, a little-known U.S. Navy base was built on Hawaii, known as Pearl Harbor. That's how old Pearl Harbor is. I didn't know it was that old. It was part of the new Hawaiian Constitution. So one of the things they signed, we got to put a naval base on there. The U.S. was making out pretty well with these political maneuverings and stuff. At this point, sugar exports experienced another boom, a massive boom. And the sugar planters and investors sank their teeth even deeper into the Hawaiian islands. Their power washed over the islands. They basically controlled U.S. and Hawaiian affairs. So, you know, the guys invested in sugar, growing the sugar, they're now controlling the politics around Hawaii and for themselves, for their own gains. King Kalakaua'u. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce things horribly wrong. It's one of those. There's only there's really only two names. Somehow I got Honolulu wrong, but there's King Kala, Kalakaua'u. He signed the Bayonet Constitution. It was a political document giving more power to the white landowners um, and farmers that attempted a coup on Hawaii. And that was my, my first source. That's pretty much all it said. He signed something. It gave more power to the white people. Well, the Bayonet Constitution was not officially called that. Uh, there's a lot more to it. The 1887 Constitution of the Hawaiian Kingdom was a legal document prepared by anti-monarchists to strip the Hawaiian monarchy of much of its authority, initiating a transfer of power to American, European, and Native Hawaiian elites. National Geographic writes about the so-called Bayonet Constitution, and somehow National Geographic did not charge me to read this article. It was pretty cool. It was pretty short. So I'm just going to read it in its entirety. On July 6, 1887, King David Kalakawahu signed – I think it's funny. Everywhere else, a couple other sources, they spell Kalakawahu with all the accents on it, like little lines above the vowels. G- National Geographic, nope, no accents. <laughs> no, no little lines. Anyway. July 6, 1887, King David Kalakaua'u signed a new constitution for the Kingdom of Hawaii. Kalakaua'u signed the law at gunpoint, which led to the document being nicknamed the Bayonet Constitution. So he did not sign this willingly. The guns surrounding Kalakaua'u on that fateful day belonged to members of a militia nicknamed the Honolulu Rifles, made up largely of white settlers. Kalakaua'u's successor as monarch, his sister Liliokalani, Later speculated Kalakaua'u would have been killed had he not signed the new constitution. The Honolulu Rifles were affiliated with a group called the Hawaiian League, which drafted the new constitution to transfer power from the monarchy to the more settler-friendly legislature. 
legislature. The document also granted suffrage to foreigners, generally American and Europeans, by linking the right to vote with property ownership. The leader of the Hawaiian League, Lauren A. Thurston, was the grandson of one of the first American missionaries to travel to Hawaii. Many of many other members of the group operated or worked for Hawaii's giant lucrative sugar plantations. So the bayonet constitution was called that because the dude was, you know, being forced to sign it by guns with bayonets on them. By 1891, following the death of her brother, King Kalakaua in San Francisco, California, in an attempt to negotiate for his people, Queen, now Queen, Lilio Kalani ascended the Hawaiian throne. Uh, <laughs> King Kalakaua's dying words were, tell my people I tried. At least that was to believe to be his dying words after suffering a stroke. But that was actually made up by novelist Eugene Burns in his uh, 1952 biography of Kalakaua, the last king of paradise. The king's actual last words were, uh, <laughs> bear with me here, I'm quoting this native Hawaiian words, which is like all vowels. Awuhi kanaka a oe i loko o ke kua kono koni o ka mai. It's very meaningful words that translated mean, alas, I am a man who is seriously ill. <laughs> I think that's funny. I mean, a novelist was like, tell my people I tried. But in reality, what he said was, man, I'm, I'm pretty sick. <laughs> Those are his last words. It reminds me of the Raul Dahl final words. I did an episode on Raul Dahl. And a and, uh, little tidbit that turned me on to do an episode of Raul Do, my buddy Brian told me his last words were quite funny, the whole story. They were meant to be, you know, I'm not frightened. It's just that I will miss you all so much to his family. After seeming to then fall unconscious, they thought, I mean, they, I mean it, he was about to die. The nurse injected him with some morphine to ease his passing, but she pricked him a little bit too hard with the needle. And his actual last words were, ow, fuck. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Anyway, moving on. King Kalakuahu is dead. He had some unfortunate last words. But now his sister's taking over. Queen Lilioakalani. And she's not messing around. She straight up refuses to recognize the bayonet constitution and anything on it. The bullshit law, bullshit constitution her brother was forced to sign. Instead, she writes her own constitution, which legitimizes herself as the ruler of Hawaii and her people. Her own people. She was a queen on a mission. She wanted to restore Hawaii's power back to the Hawaiian people and stop American-European businessmen from taking all of her land's precious natural resources. This is when things started to come to a head. In 1893, a group of white farmers and businessmen staged a coup against Queen Lilioakalani. These guys had the audacity to call themselves the Revolutionary Committee of Safety. <laughs> You think if you're staging a coup, you name yourself more ballsy, but I guess it's, you know, like, who's going to say the Committee of Safety is bad? Who's going to oppose that? You know, we like safety. Safety is a good thing. And to make matters worse, the U.S. military blatantly took the side of the Committee of Safety. It was February 1st when Minister John Stevens legitimized Stan Sanford B. Dole's new Committee of Safety government and proclaimed Hawaii a U.S. protectorate. That's when they sent in those Marines. President Grover Cleveland sent a new U.S. minister to Hawaii to restore Queen Lilio Kalani to the throne under the 1887 uh, Constitution, but Dole refused to step aside and instead proclaimed the Independent Republic of Hawaii. 
And President Cleveland was unwilling to overthrow the government by force, and his successor, President William McKinley, negotiated a treaty with the Republic of Hawaii in 1897. Unfortunately, only two years after coming to power, the business owners staged another coup. This time, backed by the U.S. military, the landowners removed Lilio Kalani from power, and after her supporters attempted a coup of their own, she was tried for treason. Lilio Kalani gave up her powers as monarch in exchange for pardons for her supporters. So basically... I'll give up if you don't murder everyone who supported me, my people. And the U.S. was able to annex Hawaii. Lilio Kalani continued to fight for a free Hawaii despite living in exile. In 1898, the Spanish-American War broke out, and the strategic use of the naval base at Pearl Harbor during the war convinced Congress to approve formal annexation. Two years, which I guess that's, I mean, that was the big thing that even some of the people who were like, yeah, we like the business. We don't want to annex Hawaii. That's pretty bad. It's pretty brash. Annexation is like that international law. It's the forcible acquisition of one state's territory by another state, uh, usually following military occupation of the territory in current international law. It's generally held to be an illegal act now. Um, so they didn't want to do that, but they end up doing it because, well, there's a war going on, Spanish-American War. Two years later, Hawaii is organized into a formal U.S. territory and in 1959, entered the United States as the 50th state. A powerful female monarch who fought for the rights and lands of her people under house arrest in the palace was forced to sign away her power, but never backed down. It'd be a powerful film to make about the last queen of Hawaii, Queen Liliolue Kwani, around a strong performance, but that'd be cool. King Kalakaua'u was the last formally Hawaiian monarch recognized internationally and the last to wield independent political power. The monarchy was completely overthrown in 1893. The United States annexed the kingdom in 1898 and Hawaii became the 50th state in 1959. So yeah, it was a long drawn out war, but basically the U.S. just went in there, took everything. That's the story of that. <laughs> Not very... Does make me feel good to be an proud to be an American, where at least I know we can take stuff from other people. No, I'm not trying to make light of that. <laughs> I guess I kind of am making a joke, but I know it's wrong. But yeah. Well, thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. This will be the last episode before I go on my you know first leg of trip of my honeymoon. I will be gone until you. The next episode won't be till like July, early July. So, and even then, I'm have a lot of work to catch up. Man, might not even do the first week in July. So yeah, I know I'm gonna lose some listenership. Might even lose my sponsors. But hey, it is what it is. I'll be in Mexico. Maybe I'll log on for my phone in Mexico and just while I'm walking around the resort, just talk to you guys about some cool stuff. But I won't have a computer. I don't think to work on it. So I don't know how that's gonna work. But anyway, thanks for listening. Tune in the next episode, not next week. Tune in in July. <laughs> Catch you later, Hootie Thunkers. Mm-hmm.